Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me your host Chloe Timms. In this episode I'm talking to Jandela Benson about her contemporary novel Hope and Glory. Jandela is a British Nigerian writer and editor from Birmingham now based in London. She is head of editorial at Black Ballad the award-winning digital platform for black British women. She's a TEDx speaker and her work has appeared in BuzzFeed, MTV News, The Guardian among others. In this episode, we discuss starting your novel in the heat of the moment, how her freelance writing career led to interest from an editor, and staying connected to your work when you're away from your manuscript. But first, here's Jandela with an excerpt from Hope and Glory. So this reading is right from the beginning of the book, Glory has just arrived back at her childhood home. The door opened onto a short corridor, then a small living space. Familiar smells of camphor, palm oil and chilli welcomed Glory. Smells she had hated as a teenager, dousing herself in layers of cheap body spray to mask the scent of her house. But now Glory was grateful that everything had remained more or less the same. The same crucifix was nailed to the inside of the front door, guarding the entrance. The same cream textured wallpaper ran through the room, the same brown leather sofa and armchairs. Glory's fingers found all these textures like they were talismans. She reached up and ran her fingers over Jesus' emaciated metal body before tracing one of the wallpaper swirls and pressing her fist into the soft give of the sofa. The living room was host to older women of various sizes. They cackled and talked over the television, the tonal song of their Yoruba colliding with the news anchor's clipped English. Seated in their father's armchair, Auntie Dotun was the first to see the sisters enter. Ah, Mama Ibeji, she called out, rushing to her feet to give Faith a hug. Where are my twins and how is Michael? I haven't seen you people in so long. Faith dipped into a discreet curtsy before their mother's old friend crushed her in a tight hug. Glory continued kneading the edge of the sofa. For a moment, it felt like the room was frozen in time, all the older women looking on Faith with open adoration as if she was the blessed Virgin Mary incarnate. But the moment didn't last long enough, because as soon as Faith stepped to the side, Auntie Dotun's gaze pinned Glory down. And the prodigal daughter has returned. It was an observation, not a welcome and Glory didn't offer a deferential greeting, nor did Auntie Dotun swaddle her in a grateful embrace. Instead, the older woman offered both cheeks for Glory to kiss awkwardly before she presented her to the room. Hi, Jandela. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you on with me today to discuss hope and glory. 
Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited. So can you start by telling us what Hope and Glory is about? So Hope and Glory starts with Glory, who's been out in LA and she's living her best life, if you believe her Instagram profile. But when her dad suddenly dies, she has to come back to London to be with her family. But when she comes back, she just finds her family in absolute chaos. Her mom's on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Her sister's in this marriage that Glory is not convinced is great at all. And her brother's in prison. So she decides to stay in London. But as she stays, she discovers this family secret, which potentially is going to tear everything apart um, before it gets better. And I'm going to tiptoe around this family secret, but I will (laughs) touch on it a bit later. Because honestly, I was so gripped reading this novel and particularly when you find out there's a family secret it was like I need to know what's happened um so I wonder whether you could tell us (laughs) your first inspiration for this book and did it evolve like were there bits that kind of came later to you um ideas wise how did it all start um yeah so it started when I was actually um approached by an editor so my day job is I write for Black Ballad but I think at the time I was um writing freelance for Black Ballad they magazine online digital media platform for black women and an editor actually approached me and said have you ever kind of considered writing a book I've read your stuff online so I started trying to think of an idea for a book and at the time I was in my mid-20s I was very like ambivalent about where my life was going I didn't really know what was happening so I started with this other character who was in her mid-20s and in a similar kind of position and then from there the idea kind of just grew and um, I just started to explore all these different elements of um, life and kind of like the community that I'm from the British Nigerian community that I hadn't seen in fiction and that I felt like we didn't speak about enough so it started from that point but it kind of developed as I was carried on working on it. And the mystery element to it, was that something that came later? Because I suppose having a, a kind of central secret is a, is a good way to give yourself give yourself like a, a momentum when you're writing a plot and gives you ways into, I mean, because Glory does a lot of her own like investigation. So was that helpful for you to kind of help you plot it? Yeah. Um, so that element I think I knew I wanted there to be a secret at the heart of it because I felt like that idea of um, family secrets is quite emblematic of a lot of immigrant communities but it kind of develops like what the secret was going to be how I was going to communicate it but it definitely helped with plotting kind of like having this central thing to kind of work towards Mm -hmm. so um, yeah it really did help. And one thing that your novel did that I think you did so well was your opening, because I think openings are really difficult. They have to do so much and they have to entice the reader and maybe grab an agent or set the tone of the book. And yours starts where you get the sense that Glory's had such a life before the novel. She's been to L.A., she's got all these kind of baggage that she brings with her at the start. And I think that's quite difficult to to start a novel and have it feel like you're thrown right into the middle of the action. So why did you choose Glory's father's death as the opening? Was it um, was that an obvious choice for you as to where to begin the story? 
Yeah, definitely. I think I knew I wanted it to start there because I wanted it to be like right in the heat of the moment. Like there's an emotional pull right from the get go. Um, but the actual beginning, so in the earlier drafts, there were like six chapters before the beginning that um, happens now. There was a bit about Glory in LA and all of that got cut because it still felt quite like the build up. Like she'd found out that her um, dad had died, but there was kind of like the logistics of like leaving LA and coming back to London. And yeah, it, I guess I realised with the help of some very good editors that that wasn't necessary, but I knew that I wanted it to be glory kind of being thrown back into this family mix with this death. How does it feel for you to have to lose six chapters or were you kind of comfortable with that idea of, of cutting so much? No, I was not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I was not comfortable at the time. I think whenever I have to cut stuff, I always just put it in a separate document and I just kind of like leave it there. And that always feels a little bit better knowing that, okay, it's not gone. It's just, let's just see how this works without it. But then it like, it actually worked so so then I was like yeah of course those chapters needed to go like there of course how did it feel later on in the process to edit did you still feel that kind of sting when you were told to kind of cut something or change something or had you kind of grown to enjoy the process or maybe tolerate it I think I grew more to understand that don't react to feedback in the moment like give yourself a little bit of time and then come back to it and then it'll be easier to see what has been suggested and ultimately it's your book so you don't have to take everything on board but for the most part all the feedback that I did get was really helpful but I just needed a bit of distance to mm -hmm. kind of like come back to it and then be like oh okay I see what they're saying they're not saying that everything that I've written is absolutely terrible and I don't know how to write a book and my storytelling is completely atrocious they're just saying that this needs to tweak. <laughs> so Glory's thrown into this really emotional and moment of high tension in her family when she goes back home. And obviously the family is the heart of the novel, really. Their conflicts, their secrets, their loyalties, their beliefs. How did you build them as a family? Did you have each character clearly in your mind or were they things that you worked on as you were writing? How did you build this family? Yeah, so I think I always started by um, what I tend to do, which is I write like a really terrible rough draft just to kind of have events clearer in my mind. And then I go back and start working on the characters. So I worked on the characters kind of to all together, but separately, if that makes sense. So I like mm -hmm. kind of just started writing profiles for them, kind of based off of... Um, it's this character profile that I got from, I think it's called like No Film School. So it's actually for screenwriters, but it works so well for um, novels or any kind of writing I find. And just kind of like working on the character's motivations, why they are the way that they are, like any relevant backstory or previous events that just kind of helped them make, helped me to make them more three-dimensional in my own mind. And then when I had all of that down, then I went back and started to revisit the novel and started to like pad out bits and kind of shape them a bit more in line with what I had decided with these character kind of like outlines. But um, yeah, I kind of did them all together. I wanted them to feel like 
they fed into each other and like they played off of each other and there was kind of like reasons for why this character was like this and how this character contributed to this character so um, I spent quite a while on that yeah mm, and I think it really pays off because your family really do feel like a real family and your characters do have that fleshed out 3D feeling so obviously the character profiles work really well for you and I wanted to talk about Glory she is our central character but she's not I mean she's a flawed character I think she's she's very empathetic very likable but obviously she has her flaws she's um she can be quite I guess self-righteous in her opinions um and there are points where other characters point out her flaws as well um but she's at a crossroads in her life so we have to give her a bit of slack how important was it for you to make her into this this flawed character I think it was really important because I feel like flaws just make people feel more real. Like if you wrote like the perfect character who is just kind of like this fairy tale, like princess, essentially, it's not, I don't find those characters compelling. I find them a bit flat on the page. So I wanted to write a character that you would kind of react strongly to, like whether you really, really liked her or you even potentially have issues with her and the choices that she's made, which I have issues as well as the author. <laughs> like I have issues with like some choices that Gloria made. But I think that what's important is that you feel something to care enough what happens to mm. this character and the world that they're in. Because um yeah, someone can just be perfect and kind of like two dimensional and flat on the page and you don't really care either. You just feel like oh they'll be fine. <laughs> you know, whatever's gonna happen, yeah. they'll be fine. But you want there to be like state and to feel like okay this character might not actually make it or might not or make might kind of make a completely wrong decision because I can see the flaws and I can see uh, what they're doing and oh no don't do that like you want the reader to feel that way mm-hmm. and I literally did a book club last week where people were debating whether they even liked Gloria as a character and I found the whole thing hilarious <laughs> and fascinating because <laughs> some people had really strong opinions about why they didn't like Gloria and others were like defending her to the end and I was like okay I did something good here because I've got these other people like so heavily invested yeah I don't think there's there's no greater compliment than a book club arguing over your characters I don't think (laughs) yeah (laughs) I think for me like you're saying there's times where you as an author uh you you feel a certain way about her I think for me it was particularly her scenes with Julian where I was like almost like covering my eyes being like don't do it (laughs) don't say it you know where you're thinking please yeah. just stop um because yeah. I mean I, let's talk about her relationship with Julie and them because um he's, he's an old sort of family friend that she reconnects with at her father's funeral and they I mean it's early days at the beginning and there's because we're following it through Glory's eyes there's an element of you don't always know whether his intentions are good but he, he you know he seems like a decent guy but Glory's suspicious as well sometimes but they really mm. have such a great chemistry. And I think you really built that through their dialogue. And I was like, really, you know, I really believed in their rapport as well. So how did you approach the dialogue? Was it something you, I mean, I know some authors kind of read it out loud. They kind of grab someone and practice. How did you build that dialogue? Yeah, I read it all out loud. I actually read the whole book out loud, probably at least three times, which um, was interesting. But um, yeah, 
each each kind of like dialogue scene I kind of acted it out myself um I used to do drama once upon a time so that was a nice little like revisit for me but it's just really important because I feel like sometimes you can read a book and you can tell that all oh, this dialogue is actually written like because mm-hmm. people don't always talk like especially in arguments like you don't always say exactly what you want to say in the heat of the moment or you know people interrupt and there's all of that kind of natural fumbling that happens in speech and obviously you don't include all of it because then it would just be a transcript and that's a bit Mm. boring but I just wanted to make sure that it felt like real people talking and not just like an author kind of just giving people these like really long monologues when they're when like in an argument you're not gonna have time for a monologue you're gonna be like chipping away going back and forth at each other so I tried to read it out loud to try and keep that energy there yeah and I, and I think I think you can tell that you've you've worked at kind of speaking it out loud because it does have that authentic feel to it as well and I think because their relationship is based on very flirty at the beginning and then they do have their arguments it's got to be that good back and forth you know yeah thank you so there's a great line that Julian says near the end of the novel where he's kind of giving a bit of honest truth to glory and he's talking about how when you grow up kind of one of the shit parts of growing up is seeing your parents how they really are and rather than just seeing them how you want to see them and that's something that you explore as a theme throughout so obviously there are multiple things in this novel that you touch on um did you have a strong idea when you began about what the sort of things you wanted to speak about in this novel or was it something that you that again came through the writing process or did you go in with a set idea of I want to touch on these topics um I think a lot of the themes came as I was writing I knew when I started I wanted to write about this young woman who doesn't really know what she's doing but she was coming back to family and she was like after almost like after running away she was coming back to her family and I wanted there to be um that to kind of that return that reunion to be a central theme but I didn't really know anything else beyond that and I think as I was writing and as these characters turned into who they were I started to get a feel for the themes that I thought were important mm. and um tried to bring them to the forefront but it was very much in the process of writing did you feel that it was difficult when because I, I think theme is such a, a a challenging thing because we all have this idea that we have to be saying these big things when we're yeah <laughs> feel like kind of pressure to to be I don't know because this is particularly as it's your first novel did you feel and you were also approached to write a novel did you feel that you had to make this I don't know big statement when you were writing I think in the beginning, yeah, I definitely felt like I needed to make this profound statement about (laughs) something. And then after going through, however, I think it was seven drafts before it finally went on submission, I was just like, I just want this to feel real and just be a story that people can relate to. And like the kind of fiction that I read is often, not all the time, but it can be quite like grand literary themes and or historical and all of that kind of like great big ideas which are brilliant but I think in the beginning I was perhaps trying to force that a bit Mm. and then when I just kind of let the characters dictate the story and kind of feel my way through other things just came out more naturally 
to the point where I don't even necessarily think that I was consciously thinking of themes I was just like okay this is what I want to explore and this is and this happens with this dynamic and I just want to push that a bit more and then afterwards you're kind of like oh wow I can see how this is shaped into something Mm. but I knew family was important for me but I didn't necessarily know this like that it was going to be about like parenting in that way or like the intergeneral intergenerational relationships in that way until I was much further along in the process did you find that when you went to that book club recently that they were mentioning things that actually you hadn't put intended to be read into in another one they brought something up and I find that readers are you know sometimes they'll read into things and you're like that's great I didn't actually intend for that to be read (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, so I actually did a talk yesterday a lunchtime talk with some solicitors and they were asking these kind of like questions and one of them was like oh yeah like the did you intentionally put in this kind of like um these easter eggs around north london football and i was like what and then they were like yeah you know because this character is called this and this character is called that and there's a mention of arsenal and i was like absolutely not i was like <laughs> i don't even i don't even know enough about football to have mm. done that intentionally but um i love it cuz it's just how closely people read things mm. and how and it just shows how much attention that they do pay and then someone else mentioned that oh i can tell that you're a bit you're a bit of a sneakerhead because of xyz and i was like oh i am actually but i didn't intentionally <laughs> do that either <laughs> so um yeah I, it's it's quite a um it's quite a trippy process mm-hmm. <laughs> like having people i think i think you've got to style it out anytime just go yeah i totally intended that that was exactly <laughs> <what I meant. laughs> exactly well well done but one thing that um actually um yeah I've so I've been doing so many different kind of like talks and stuff which has been great but I was at a um a secondary school and they had like a book club for like the older um the sixth formers and one of the sixth formers like picked up around the names and like oh did you name them all intentionally this and I was like yes you got like those little moments when people do catch on it's like Mm -hmm. oh this is so great like yeah Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, as we're talking about you going to a secondary store to give a talk, I'm going to link it in the show notes, but you did a, a speech to a secondary school and you spoke about kind of your influences in growing up. And I've already mentioned to you before we start recording that the, your favorite authors were my favorite authors growing up and how you were inspired <laughs> to write a diary because of the um was it the angus thongs and full frontal snogging books you know, like, yeah, yeah amazing yeah. um yeah. you know totally like what late 90s early noughties era great great books for teens um so tell us about your your journey into writing them because I know you were approached by editors who asked whether you had any, any ideas for a novel but how did you get into writing and as was that novel writing always a dream for you um yeah so right the very first thing I ever wanted to do was write a novel and that was when I was in primary school I was an avid reader from then then it was like Enid Blight and then Famous Five The Secret Seven and um The Railway Children The Secret Garden those kind of books and I just wanted to write a book where I saw myself obviously these are like very like English very like 50s probably even like 1900s kind mm. of stories so I was like I just want to write a book where I see someone like me so I started to write a book and my aim was to beat the world record at the time which my teacher told me was 13 years old for being published <laughs> so I was in like year five I was like yep yeah, I'm gonna do it and I didn't I didn't finish the novel and then I kind of like packed it all in I was like ah, this isn't for me so I stopped writing I stopped trying to write carried on reading but um like over the years I guess I've written a bit of poetry um here and there and then when I um when I was in secondary school again I, I guess picking up on the whole like diary thing I started a blog in like the early early days of the internet and kind of always kept a blog until I was in university but this is all just like personal because I've kept a diary since I was 15 as well so I've kept a paper diary since I was 15 um which I also found recently which was very interesting <laughs> but um still keep a so diary I'm, now yes I do okay. yeah yeah um so I've so I've always had the compulsion to write just never really thinking it would be anything because it was just like or maybe if I did something amazing people would want to like publish my diaries in like 20 or 30 years after my death I don't know but um when I actually had my first son that um I was a freelance photographer at the time but I couldn't like carry on doing that because I had this little baby and I was very uh, first I was heavily pregnant then I had this baby and I was suffering from depression at the time so I just started writing online again just for myself just talking about motherhood and then from there people were reading that and asking me to write for different websites and I kind of 
fell into a freelance writing career that way. And then from writing for Black Ballad, that's when the editor approached me. I didn't end up going with that editor because she moved publishing houses and, and where she went to wasn't the right fit for what I was working on. But um, yeah, so it's kind of like a full circle moment. But at the same time, it feels almost accidental because I was just doing what I've always felt compelled to do. And then thankfully because of the internet and just kind of like being able to put myself out there someone nudged me in the direction of writing a book which I'm if I hadn't have got that nudge I don't know if I would have in all honesty um so yeah it's been it it feels like inevitable but also accidental if that makes sense Mm. so obviously you started writing this novel and you had interest already from an editor but as you said you didn't go with them did you then go on to get an agent how did that work yeah so when I started talking to this editor who approached me I think at some point I was like I should probably have an agent because obviously you just realize that there's so much in the publishing industry that you don't know Mm -hmm. so I approached um, a writer that I was kind of friendly with on Twitter called Nikesh Shukla and I was like how do you get an agent <laughs> basically I was like, well, like like what do I do and he very kindly introduced me to three agents um who he thought might be good for me and then I started talking to them and I was trying to like arrange to like you know the, the sensible thing is to try and meet them all and then decide and I will say probably having the interest already from the editor really worked in my favor so I think that was um that was quite um I was lucky in that aspect because I think that they were like oh you've already got interest um that maybe stuck out for them whereas I didn't really have much um I had the articles that I was writing online but I didn't really have any fiction anywhere so um so I started talking to these three um agents in the end I only got around to meeting one of them because one cancelled due to a family um, emergency and then the other one was just I think it was probably around this time they were really busy with like Frankfurt Book Fair or whatever so that never happened but I met with this one agent Juliet and we just clicked and I told her about this book that I was working on Hope and Glory the very early early stages um, and I'd worked out kind of like the plot and the kind of secret and all that kind of stuff but I'd probably written maybe about three chapters like it was not like anywhere near and I told her about it and she liked the idea and we just clicked over like tea or whatever and then she emailed me and she was like I'd really like to represent you and a part of me was like oh maybe I should you know shop around shop around see if there's anyone else but I was like actually I just really like Juliet so and if she believes in me now when I don't really have anything like so then I signed with Juliet and then it was just I was basically working on the book for about I'd say three years after that. Um, as I think I signed over in probably like 20, maybe 2016, 2017. And then I was working on the book for about three years before it finally went out on submission. And was there a point when you were working on it that you, I mean, you'd had this idea for a while, but, and you, you had had a break from writing fiction. So you hadn't written fiction for a while, but how did you decide that, okay, this was, this was a story that was worth telling. This one had potential and you were, gonna finish this one was there a moment when you felt like that or was it Juliet's encouragement that that helped you feel like that 
Um, it was definitely Juliet's encouragement. I think it was just a bit of stubbornness because I had tried to write this novel at the tender age of 10 and not like go anywhere. I was like, no, you have to finish. At least just finish this to see if you can do it. So it was a lot of kind of like pushing through because mm. the early drafts were really bad. They were terrible. Oh my gosh. Like they were so, they were just so, I was still trying to work out so many different things and like trying to get into the rhythm of storytelling and plot and kind of all those kind of different things. And I was really grateful for Juliet's guidance in that. So it was definitely her encouragement as well. Mm. um but it was also my stubbornness that was like you just have to like you can't you can't not finish this book now that you've got an agent like come on let's be serious I think that's a key trait for writers you've got to be stubborn you got to just you have to you have to because there's so many points where you just read it back and you're like what on earth am I doing (laughs) like who did I think I was like it was every other draft like my emotions would change so rapidly like I'd finish one draft or not even every other draft every other read through I'd finish writing it I'd be like yes this is amazing this is like the best thing ever and then I'd read it back and I'd be like what the heck is this what are you doing and then I would see like a book be announced and I'd be like oh no it's so close to what I'm like this is actually a funny story that I don't think I've said anyway when Queenie got announced by Candice Carty Williams and it was like a 20 something year old black woman living in South London I was like no (laughs) that's exactly like and obviously if you've read Queenie and you've read my book two completely different books but these are the things that you can do to just like psych yourself out and thankfully I was able to just talk to my agent like through those like really silly moments of just complete self-disbelief but um yeah you do have to kind there has to be that small voice inside you that when all the other voices are like saying nonsense it's like okay but just finish it just just finish it do you know what the amount of people that I've spoken to that have said while they were writing their book they read in the bookseller or they read online an announcement for another book that they were like that's my book they've (laughs) they've taken my idea and now someone else is going to have the 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 book that I had the idea for or I'm halfway through writing I don't know a single author that hasn't experienced that but you know there are I mean what do they say there's only seven plots or something so um, yeah there's always going to be books that sound like yours but they're they're probably going to be totally different so completely different and a writer actually um got in touch with me and was like oh they read hope and glory they absolutely loved it but now they were scared because they were writing a book and they felt it was too similar and I was like whatever your book is it's not going to be similar at all like you're going to have your own spin your own world your own characters they're going to be just completely different and it's so just go ahead and write the book and I was like I'm waiting to read it like when it's finished we're waiting to read it that's so nice that they emailed you and almost like to check it was okay (laughs) yeah but the thing is like only they always say like only you can write your book and it's yeah true because your own voice goes into it and your personality goes into it no one can replicate that even if their story has similarities to us plus I think it actually is quite helpful for booksellers because they can go well if you liked this book you might like this one instead you know yeah so it's quite useful in some ways plus if you are a new writer and you need kind of comp titles and you've seen a book that you think sounds like yours you can go well my book is like this crossed with this so yeah 
Yeah, I think that it is is great. And one thing that I also do find is that so many books can be in conversation with each other. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's similar themes, there's similar I, even just the fact that I know this year there's there's been quite a few books that have been about South London and like black women living in South London and while they're all very different there's some kind of like little crossovers that makes me feel like these books are in conversation with each other and that's nice because you don't want to be the only person kind of like writing a particular kind of setting or a particular kind of story because then it's like the hopes of everyone resting on you and it's like well if you don't like hope and glory there are plenty of other books out there that you've got all of peckham like on your shoulders (laughs) going like tell our story come on (laughs) exactly that's not nice for anyone (laughs) so i want to talk a little bit about your writing process because i read an interview with with you that you said you don't listen to music while you write you don't really read while you write you go in this kind of like tunnel vision so I was wondering then what kind of keeps you fueled creatively um or is it more of a case that you just kind of get the words down and then you can make space for other art yeah I think I've so with I don't listen to music necessarily when I'm writing but I do listen to music before I start writing so I make like playlists for each book that I'm working on and it will kind of just help me to like get into the zone and um I will listen to that and then eventually I'll feel like I'm in a place where I can write and then I'll write but um yeah before I never used to read at all but now I've started to just read something that's different Mm -hmm. so because I guess everyone's scared of like reading a book and then accidentally kind of like plagiarizing or like completely copying an author's tone or whatever but now what I try to do is I'll just try to read something that's completely different to what I'm writing but it's still good writing because I find that when I read good writing it just makes me want to write no matter what it just makes me think okay I need to like put pen to paper and um, crack on so I've changed a little bit in that respect but um the thing is that I also don't really have I would say like a formal writing process like I've got a full-time job I've got kids so a lot of it is just trying to find moments of like quiet to just Mm. get stuff down so what I try to do is just keep myself in the zone by listening to music so like even if I'm under school run and I'm like listening to music that's relevant to the book and kind of just turning ideas around in my head that whenever I finally get the chance to sit down it's like I'm like raring to go like I can't stop myself from typing because all of this stuff's been like building up inside and now I need to get it down on paper yeah and um another thing that I do as well is just write on my phone like every first draft of anything that I've written has literally started in the notes app on my phone that's not an exaggeration so I just try to I guess lower the barrier to entry in that way by just making it as accessible as possible through writing through my phone or um just have the ideas like constantly on the go so that whenever I do get a chance it's like the words are literally spilling out of my brain um but um yeah it's it's I mean in in this modern life it's a, and there's always Twitter to distract me from everything course, so. yeah. <laughs> <sighs> it's a fight <laughs> <laughs> yeah I love that idea of almost like you're you're doing a warm-up with the music and you're just getting yourself prepared but when you do have those moments and I'm a big advocate of writing on my phone as well so I think people that's it's an underappreciated 
method. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that we have too many stories of these like great men from history <laughs> yeah. having like their writing room and their how and their house um keeper brings them tea and food on the mat and it's like that is not any of our life no. <laughs> so let's make it as easy as possible so you've also mentioned that you're an editor at um black ballad so how does your writing there and your work there kind of complement your fiction writing do you find that um i guess kind of thematically things creep into the um subjects that you deal with there yeah, I think there's a lot, I do get a lot of inspiration um, just from reading other writers and editing other writers and kind of just reading like writers' stories as well. Like, there's so many stories and experiences in this world. Like it's actually amazing when you think about how much of our lives are actually kind of undocumented up until this modern age where like it's a lot easier for people to write about their lives. Mm. um so I get a lot of inspiration just from that energy and that kind of like writing energy but I think one way that it really helped was because so Black Ballad is primarily for black women in Britain and beyond all of our writers are black women or black trans women or black non-binary people from the UK but also from around the world and kind of having a few years of just kind of thinking about the stories that pertain to our communities really helped me when it came to writing just to keep focused mm. because there is that idea that if you're trying to write for everyone you're not really going to please anyone so you need to keep in mind like okay who's your audience like who are you speaking to and kind of working day in and day out with this audience made it easier to kind of just write for this audience mm. first and foremost and then I find that when you are true in that way that truth becomes universal that so many other people outside of your initial perhaps audience can then resonate with so um that just really helped it definitely really helped um to uh just keep focused when I was writing but then also just like reading all these different experiences and all these different types of people I think just helps me be a bit richer with my characters as well mm. Yeah, I was asked recently about did I feel pressured to kind of know who my reader was or understand what readers want. And like you said, I think it's I think when you start out, you feel like I have to write a book that everyone's going to like, but you just can't. Mm. And I think it's, it's great that you've got this uh, almost, I guess, an, even though obviously the women and people that write for Black Ballad are diverse in their own way, you have you you kind of know the stories and the the voices that interest them yeah so kind of yeah you. yeah definitely and one thing that I do, I don't do it so much anymore but um to kind of shatter that myth of writing to please everyone what I used to do is like the, the books I absolutely love like the great my favorite most favorite book I would go on Goodreads and read all the like one star reviews of them. And then obviously I'll be reading and I'll be like, you people are absolutely like, you don't know what you're talking about. This book is amazing. But it just really highlighted the fact that you like even the quote unquote greats of like the mm -hmm. Jane Austen's, the Charles Dickens, all these people who are heralded, go on to Goodreads and you will find someone who absolutely hated Great Expectations. <laughs> and and I think that just put it all into perspective for me. Like mm. you really cannot please, <laughs> you really cannot please everyone. So just do what 
you're good at and do what you feel called to do yeah and then don't go on goodreads and read and, your reviews yes. Yes, and absolutely don't go on Goodreads and read your reviews. (laughs) So I saw you describe the experience of your novel being published as far more emotional than you expected, but also the promotion side of it as hard work. So if there's one thing that you've learned from the process, what would it be? Um, I think it would be to pace myself more um when it comes to promotion I think there's obviously you've written this book and you want everyone to read it and then obviously like you you know the stats and the or you might know if you're me you know kind of like the stats and the figures about you know how many books actually make it to bestseller and all this kind of stuff so you think okay I need to put my work in you know I need to do all this kind of stuff but I think it's really it is really emotionally exhausting and it's just physically exhausting and I was trying to do all of this while writing my second book which was not wise at all so um, I think the advice I would give myself would be just to pace myself more and just to look at it as a more organic process like if this book has come from me let the promotional aspect also come from me like I don't need to turn into a different person to promote my book I should just do the things that I enjoy and I like doing that might sell the book or it might not it might just be a fun thing for me to do like I absolutely love I was probably spending too much time on TikTok and <laughs> I guess part of it was like oh I need to promote my book on TikTok and now I'm just like I'm just there because I enjoy it and I'll make stupid little videos and I'll watch stupid little stuff and it's not really I mean I don't know if it's contributing anything to my book sales but I'm enjoying doing it and I think at this point that's the most important thing for me (laughs) I need to enjoy it so you've already mentioned book two are you able to tell us anything about it oh it is it's very different I'm saying it's very different because it feels quite different to Hope and Glory um it's a bit darker it's not set in London not set in South London but it's more um so I guess from what I can see now, so I'm still in the editorial process, it's about um community and it's about these two young women. One of them is a young mom who's got a small boy and they live in kind of like this bed seat and her next door neighbour who is like a latchkey kid, a 15 year old girl. And it's about how they find and make their own community um in a world that can be quite hostile and well I mean we're all living through it right now aren't we (laughs) this this version of Britain that is not working for the most of us so it's about them finding community amongst all of that well that honestly sounds brilliant and I cannot wait to read it Jendela thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today thank you I really enjoyed being here that was Jendela Benson talking about her contemporary novel hope and glory which is out now and available to buy thank you so much for listening and if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or if you've subscribed already it'd be great if you could leave me a review see you next time When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.